The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, and as always, thank our dear friend for announcing this. It's good to see all of you here this morning, and I just want you to know that we love you and are so glad you're here. There may be, forgive me, I'm just going to do it without rules. I know some of you won't stand up, and I got that totally. But if you are in any way, basically, associated with the military this morning, could you just stand up for a moment and and let us see, especially six-foot-eight people that are at the Naval Academy. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Thank you all, all of you, for your service. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, guys, everyone. Uh, Some of the guys are just standing up against the wall already this morning. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's a federal holiday in the United States for mourning the U.S. personnel who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. And we are just so uh, proud to to have so many of them at this uh, particular church. It's uh, observed generally on the last Monday in May, and that's, that's tomorrow. So just pray for them. Let me read you something from a form of war veteran. His name was Adil Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody. He wasn't a soldier in any way. In fact, he was a pacifist because he, at that time, he could just refuse to go into that kind of thing. But his, his life was given to the service of his country under uh, uh, the possibility of being shot constantly because he was a minister of the gospel who was called Crazy Moody. Why was he called Crazy Moody? Because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the love of Christ, he could not keep himself from going to the hospital wards and, and every possible place to talk to. Mostly it was boys, but the people who were dying from the effects of warfare. When the Spanish War broke out, his uh, well, uh, long after that, really, his son wrote a biography about him. I have a copy that's probably 120 years old that I've been thumbing through and, and flipping through certain pages. And, and uh, when his son wrote it, he, he wrote this, when the Spanish War bo- broke out, this was 30 years after the Civil War, and thousands of young men are again gathered into army camps, Mr. Moody's heart went out toward them with the same longing that had urged him on during the Civil War. His experiences in 1861 through 65 helped him to arouse the churches in this new emergency. He became chairman of the evangelistic department of the Navy and Army and the Christian Commission. He wrote this letter to to those that ministered. And, And the reason I'm reading it to you is because this is a time where we are involved in a great battle Uh, but it is uh, not one with uh, uh, emissaries of flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers. There is spiritual wickedness in in high places, and it is our uh, blessing and duty to join with the great intercessor of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, and get on our knees before God, not so much in the organized way churches or groups do, but in a heart way, we set the, the altar of our heart on pray. And maybe for some of us, we set that on fast. And let me just say, I'm going to 
talk, talk about that a little bit, but just to say, if any of you have the idea of fasting, or certainly at any length, please see a physician before you do it. And God is not legalistically requiring anyone to fast. That's not it. And, and you'll hear this in what I'm going to say this morning. It's simply a way of saying, God, we're dead serious. We, America, our world must be saved. To, to the greatest extent we can in heart, we can at least go to that place in our bedroom before daybreak or whenever it is and get on our knees or stand and walk and say, God, have mercy on us as sinners. And number two, bring your son's very life to this particular culture. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need thee every hour. We need thee. 30 years ago, uh, Moody says, war clouds gathered over our land and the church of God was aroused as I have never seen it before in behalf of the young men of, of America. This interest expressed itself in the formation of the Christian Commission and efforts everywhere were made for re the religious interests of the soldiers. Meetings were held everywhere. Many a camp became the scene of a deep, an effective revival. Those of you that have read Ken Burns or watched Ken Burns' show on the Civil War, you will see men, women, boys, girls, black, white, it didn't seem to matter. When dark clouds face the land, as they are in our land right now, a, a, a host, a regiment of people begin finally to pray and intercede, and often revival comes in these moments, and that is my deep hope that there would be a, a revival of heart and spirit in our dear country deep and effective revival. And for more than 30 years, I have been, Moody said, continually meeting men who were converted during the Civil War, during the meetings that they held for those boys and girls who were out there in the field facing darkness and fire and sword. Now the dark shadows of war again rests upon our land. Is it not possible that God intends to use even the darkness of this evil and put in your own evil in this hour that we're facing is it possible that God intends to use even the darkness of this evil for the blessing of the youth of this land? And while he has called us to become the instrument of his justice, may he not have, in fact, in store a season of revival for those who brought face to face with danger and in realization of the seriousness of life may be reached when at other times careless and indifferent so many are careless and indifferent in our culture. Marriage doesn't mean anything to us as a people anymore, it seems. Kindness, decency, uh, 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 our sexual immorality is wrapping itself around our neck and choking us to death as a people. Let there be glory and honor and praises to the Lord Jesus and let us repent starting here, starting now, right now in this room of any of the things that continue to basically abuse us and abuse our children. Make no mistake, adults are there to protect children. I'm not talking about the police here. I'm talking about the whole educational establishment, most of whom the people are giving their lives for these children. I'm in the public schools. I work in them. We have some of the best people you can imagine working in our schools. But there are philosophies somewhere coming from somewhere that are discounting the Word of God in, in every dimension, it seems. Having said that, here we are at this place. He, is, he, he may bring those who are indifferent to the place of blessing. They may realize the serious of life. 
It seems to me that it is just in the nick of time in which to reach thousands of young men with the gospel, either through a testament, a good book, or the spoken message. A minister in Philadelphia writes me that there's an excellent opportunity of doing good in Tampa, and I have no doubt that other camps offer equally favorable conditions. Jesus Christ in the book of Mark says this, and Mark read it last week. The scribes and the Pharisees were there, and they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors and said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I believe this is a moment for our culture in the most profound way. Perhaps we will experience what happened some 50 years ago in, in my era, the Jesus movement. Most of those in that particular movement are dying right now. We're going on to meet the Lord, but we can testify to you from long experience that it has been so good to know him, so good to know him. And this is a moment, let's just pray together right now. Father, we're all grieving over the Texas school and wars and rumors of wars, Lord. And our boys and girls filled with anxiety, they might be called up to risk their lives yet again for the good of the world and our nation. Lord, glorify the name of your son, we pray. When war clouds come, break through them with the rays of light of your glory and goodness, that men may come to know your Son, whom to know is life, life eternal. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, to but sinners to repentance. Memorial Day is a time we remember those who gave their lives, but it is also a time to remember that in these great moments of stress, God comes in. When there are times of weakness, he provides strength. I have seen it and experienced it. And, and you will hear, I am hearing already some people in certain media outlets saying, I've been far from God. And they're realizing as these things happen in the nation, that they need to come home. Come home. In Mark chapter 2, they're going to ask him this. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. That was a good thing. Once a year, the Jewish people at Yom Kippur, at the time of uh, atonement, the day of atonement, there would be a fast. It's a time set apart. I, I, I've read more than I can tell you on this particular subject, and here's the simplicity of it. A fast is just like a prayer without words. It is saying, your will and my need for you means more to me even than my daily bread. These things would last typically just during the daylight hours. You'd get up in the morning and dark, you'll have your last meal there. And, and then late at night, they would have a meal. And these people come to the Lord Jesus, and they're going to criticize him. They're going to find fault with him. But he is, he is impervious to these kinds of attacks. Uh, uh, but they do ask this question, why do John's disciples, 
John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? They do not need to come to him in, in prayer and supplication in some invisible world, they can come right and talk to him at this moment. This is a breakthrough of spiritual power that people longed for forever. This is the coming of the Messiah. This is the breakdown of demonic forces. It is the healing of men and women. It is the salvation of many souls. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. Well, for the moment, he is, he is hidden in heaven. He awaits us. He hears our prayers. But it is a time, perhaps, for some of us, for some of us to turn in fervent prayer towards the Lord Jesus. And maybe some, maybe once a week or some a distance, maybe sometime you put up that silent prayer of a reduction in whatever it is you want to fast. For many men, it could be media stuff, right? That would be a good thing to fast. For others, it might be a, a, a portion of food, Nothing to put you in danger. I want to make very clear about, uh, be very clear about that. Nothing to hurt you medically. But an unspoken, floating prayer to heaven saying, God, we need you and we're serious. And when you fast, do not look gloomy, he says, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that you're fasting may not be seen by others. It says this in Matthew 6, 16, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. May I assume with the answer to your prayer. My prayer is that America may be saved. My prayer is that Russia may experience a spiritual awakening both in its streets and in its prisons and in its armies. My prayer is the Ukraine will turn to you in fullness of faith. We have people here who have been missionaries. Marty has been to the Ukraine serving the Lord Jesus. He's seen the desire of people there to know Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But we need more and more of that. We would not be in this position today if we did not have more of an influx of Christian people who take a stand, not in a judgmental way, not in a silly way, but in the most loving way. They say, this is where I stand, and I will go no further. No, you cannot teach this to my children. Guys, 20 years ago, I had to get on the phone and tell a certain school they were not going to teach my children that. They said, that, well, they were going to put her in the hall. I said, put her in the hall. She's not going to listen to that. And they did it. At that time, the stuff they're putting in today was already being, I, I can't even tell you, things that these children are taught I did not hear or know about till I was in police academy. In that era, that's about a quarter century ago now. Pray for our schools. There are some really wonderful, godly people and wonderful people there, and they don't agree with this stuff. Something's just desperately wrong. Pray for your country. Pray for a revelation of what in the world is going on in a spiritual sense in the hearts of men and women that would cause them to do this. It's just so frustrating for all of us. Let me say this. We need a revival. Fast if you want to. Pray certainly. 
But we need to be changed as a people from the inside out. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. What that means is you don't put this thing on a garment that can shrink up and rip the garment. What you do is you need a new garment. The Bible basically says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be clothed with power from on high that he helps you in your weakness and infirmity with a strength that you cannot gin up in your flesh or just be so talented that everybody admires it. No, we need something that is miraculous right now. Right now. And God answers prayer. So we're not going to sew a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. God, fix me. God, renew me. If you don't know Jesus Christ, my friend, he's here right now. And he brought you here because he loves you. And because he loves you, he wants to clothe you in the clothing of royalty. Not only that, he wants to clothe you in power, in a robe of righteousness, give you a shield of faith, the breastplate of, of, of protection against all the wiles of the enemy, the, your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And then he wants to put a new wine in your soul, not the old wine of drunkenness and stumbling and torment. No, 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 no. One puts new wine, not into old wineskins. He wants to put a new wine into new people. We need to go to the people in this country in love and just love them into the kingdom. We need to be so filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit in this new vessel that has been redeemed and bought by the Lord Jesus that they're touched and moved. My wife is, she's out, I just, I don't want to tell you because it would be a boast, but she's out there creating circumstances where we get to know everybody around us. Just outrageously so, because we feel that the Lord does not want his people to relent. He wants them to repent. He wants them to go out with the power of true love, not some kind of romantic notion, but the notion of a life yielded, fresh, excited, and ready to go. My life apart from Christ, clothed in my own crazy wine thing and my own bad clothes was a sniveling wreck. But when he came in, everything began to be renewed. How are we renewed? By prayer and supplication. D.L. Moody said this. He got to the place in his life where there were two women in the front of the room and, he said, and they saw him as a preacher and he was wonderful, an amazing man, but something was missing. He needed Everything Jesus had, and these two ladies said, you need to ask God to totally fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about a second experience. I'm talking about an understanding, an acknowledgement that greater is he, Jesus Christ, that's in you than he, the devil, that's in the world. There is a living God that wants to so inhabit you that you are different, startlingly different, and used by his power, not by your own intellect, not by your own strength, but by his love and goodness. You are a reflection of the Lord Jesus. These two women would sit in the front of Moody when he would preach and just pray for him, pray for him. He felt he needed something more than what he had. Well, perhaps he didn't. Maybe he just needed to acknowledge the life of Jesus even more powerfully. All I know is, is this. He was in a, 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 he had just had his house burned down. Chicago had gone through a terrible uh, fire. And he said he was crying out all the time that God would help him in his weakness. 
That God would fill him with his spirit, not just a portion of his heart, but the whole man. Well, one day in the city of New York, he said, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you would give me all the world. It would be a small, small touch of dust in the balance as compared to what he now experienced. Above all things, he said, in light of his understanding that he was filled with the spirit and glory of God. He remembered this, a verse in Peter, I think it's 4.8. Above all things, above all things, listen to that, put on love, put on love. Put it at the head of the list. He said, faith is good, but this is above it. Truth is good. It is a beautiful sight to see the church of God study the word. But what are we if we do not have love? May the dear church get such a flood of love from on high that it will fill all our hearts. The last night Jesus was on earth, before they crucified him, he said to his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let us think on those solemn words, and may the love of Christ draw us all together, that we will be as one man. During the Civil War, Moody had was compelled by the Lord to go to bedside after bedside. And he only really had moments to present the gospel to people. Now, God is bigger than my gospel presentation. He does what he's going to do. But Moody loved people. As he stated, he loved people because the love of Christ had been poured into his heart, and he wanted to go to them. He was on the ground ministering to the wounded, on the ground ministering to the wounded, after the battles of Pittsburgh Landing, Shiloh, and Murfreesboro, he was with the army at Chattanooga and among the first to enter Richmond. Friends, nightmares had happened in these towns, but Christ had his men and people and women there. It was after one of these battles that the following incident occurred, and Moody relates it. We were taking a large number of wounded men down the Tennessee River after the Battle of Pittsburgh Landing, a number of the young men of the Christian Commission were with me, and I told them that we must not let a man die on the boat that night without telling him of Christ in heaven. You know the cry of a wounded man? Water, water. And as we passed along from one to another giving them water, we tried to tell them of the love of of God and, and the water of life, of which if they would drink it, they would never die. I came to one man who had almost as fine a face as I ever saw. I spoke to him, but he did not answer. I went to the doctor and said, doctor, do you think this man will recover? No. He lost so much blood before we got to him on the field that he fainted while we were amputating his leg. He will never recover. I said, I can't find out his name, and it seems a pity to let him die without knowing who he is. Don't you think we can bring him to? 
You may give him a little brandy and water, said the doctor. That will revive him, if anything will. I sat down beside him. I gave him brandy and water every now and then. And while I was waiting, I said to a man nearby, do you know this man? Oh, yes, that is my chum. Has he a father and mother living? He has a widowed mother. Has he any brothers or sisters? Two sisters. But he is the only son. What is his name? William Clark. I said to myself that I could not let him die without getting a message for that mother. Presently, he opened his eyes and said, and I said, William, do you know where you are? He looked around a little dazed and said, oh, oh yes, I am on my way home to mother. Yes, you are on your way home, I said, but the doctor says you won't reach your earthly home. I thought I'd like to ask you if you had any message for your mother. His face lighted up with an unearthly glow as he said, Oh, yes, tell my mother that I died trusting in Jesus. It was one of the sweetest messages I ever heard in my life. And I believe Mr. Moody went and told the mom what he had said and affected the family profoundly. One more story and I conclude. Another war incident that Mr. Moody frequently repeated occurred after the Battle of Murfreesboro. I was stationed in the hospital, he said. For two nights I had been unable to get rest and being really worn out, it sounds very much like uh, the lady with the lamp, doesn't it? That, it reminded me of that Florence Nightingale, what he was doing. For two nights I had been unable to get rest and being really worn out, and on the third night I had laid down to sleep. About midnight I was called to see a wounded soldier who was very low. At first I tried to put the messenger off, but he told me that if I waited till morning it might be too late. So I went to the ward where I'd been directed and found the man who had sent for me. I shall never forget his face as I saw it that night in the dim, uncertain candlelight. I asked what I could do for him, and he said that he wanted me to help him to die. I told him that I would bear him in my arms into the kingdom of God if I could, but I couldn't. Then I tried to preach the gospel. He only shook his head, only shook his head and said, he can't save me. I have sinned my whole life. My thoughts went back to his loved ones in the north. And I thought that even then his mother might be praying for a boy. I repeated promise after promise and prayed with the dying man, but nothing I said seemed to help him. Then I said that I wanted to read to him an account of an interview with a man who was anxious about his eternal welfare. I read from the third chapter of John how Nicodemus came to the master. As I read on, his eyes became riveted upon me, and he seemed to drink in every syllable. And when I came to the words, as Moses lifted up the serpent... In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He stopped me, and he said, is that there? Yes, I said. Well, I, I never knew that that was in the Bible. Read it again. Leaning on his elbow in the side of the cot, he brought his hands together tightly. And when I finished, he exclaimed, that's good. Won't you read it again? Slowly I repeated the passage the third time. 
When I finished, I saw that his eyes were closed and the troubled expression on his face had given way to a peaceful smile. His lips moved and I bent over him to catch what he was saying and heard in a faint whisper, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He opened his eyes and said, that's enough. Don't read anymore. Early next morning, I again came to his cot, but it was empty. The attendant in charge told me that the young man had died peacefully and said that after my visit, he had rested quietly, repeating to himself now and then that glorious proclamation, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If there's even one person in this room today that does not know that Jesus loves you and heaven is open wide to receive you, forgive you of all your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness and seat you even, even close to that man, God, who is at the right hand of the Father who loves you and has called me this day to talk to you. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, won't you? Whoever believes in him, he gives them power to become the children of God. There is nothing you have done that is not able to be forgiven by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, my dear friends, shall we not take this moment on the 29th of May in 2022 to say, I am committed to pray with everything in, in me at the right time and the right moments, not in some technical bondage, but simply as the Spirit leads, I am not content to allow men and women to be lost eternally. I am not content to see my country tormented by dark and sinister philosophies that don't come from men, but from some kind of dark world out there. I am not content that anyone die without hearing at least of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we thank you for those who've given their lives to protect us. And Lord, we just pray that we will be Christian soldiers for the Lord, that we will be so filled with the Spirit of God that we will be like Jesus and Lord, make the people around us know that if they reject us, they are rejecting nothing but love. Change our hearts and minds not to be angry like I am a lot, Lord, but to be so filled with you that we're willing to give everything for your cause. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.